and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Sunday, early Sunday afternoon uh, today. Um, Got to get out of uh, the way of one of our guests, Royce Young, who is a long time, long suffering Cleveland, Cleveland right. Browns fan. And so we've got to, we couldn't do it Sunday night because Baker Mayfield's leading the Browns into Pittsburgh. I've waited my whole life for this game, right. Brian, literally, because I've been a lifelong Browns right. fan for two and a half years. Go. You know, tell you something, Royce. Last two and a half years, you could just duplicate that out, you know, until this season. You'd get, you'd get the same. The last few years have all been the same. <laughs> I've gotten the idea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm afraid to say tonight you'll probably get another idea of how it's probably uh, going to go as well. Well, this, the, the week leading up to it has gone just about according no, to plan right. in terms of Browns Perfect. history. So, Perfect. Yeah. And joining us from Boston is Tim Bontemps. Tim, you're, you're Buffalo Bills. You grew up a Buffalo Bills fan. Congratulations. A lot of, a lot of friends and family were very excited yesterday with the, uh, the big win over the, the Indianapolis Colts. First uh, first playoff victory in 25 years for the Bills. Yeah, let me just say that that one hit me hard because um, 1996 was the year I graduated uh, high school, and I, it was the first time I thought that that had been 25 years. So I was like, oh, terrific. Sign um, your old. That's right. That's what I got away from. From that stat, which uh, was uh, uh, impressive nonetheless. Um, so, guys, uh, the NBA right now is, uh, and I guess not surprisingly, um, but really gripped by um, the battle against uh, a COVID outbreak and the health and safety protocols that they have put in place to keep the league going are now three weeks in affecting more and more teams. And we're getting some wonky situations and some unusual situations. And um, I think the league is being proactive. Um, but ultimately, um, I think we're in for a period here where there's there's just going to be a lot of confusion and uncertainty. And I don't really know what the – there isn't an easy answer here. And, Tim, you were covering the 76ers yesterday – um, where they had an afternoon game against Denver, and they ended up with basically seven players. Uh, I guess eight were in uniform. And uh, I feel like we're going to be seeing this more. And you wrote about this, about the whole situation facing the league right on ESPN.com about it. Um, I, I, I really want to give leeway to the league because I recognize what they are doing is trying to play through a pandemic. And I, I'm saying those words, not being flippant, play through a pandemic, um, which means that they are going to do what is, what is needed to be done to try to protect the players, but continue to play the games. And that is a sloppy, imperfect goal and mission. And we've seen other sports do it. And the NBA has a set of challenges that's a little different than those other sports, but they're going to try to do it. And as a result, just inherently, it's going to be difficult. But um, I don't th- I don't know if it's being handled the best way. And what happened in Philly yesterday around the Sixers, and I'm not so sure that the Sixers handled this the best way either, even though they were dealt a difficult hand. Um, what did you think of the way this is going to go down, and where do you think we're headed with this? Well, Brian, last month, the day before the season started, Adam Silver had a conference call uh, with reporters. And when he got asked about potentially suspending the season, uh, this was part of his answer. I've acknowledged it was a mixed sort of health and safety and economic decision to start our season, meaning the health and safety has always been our highest priority. But we recognize that if we hadn't started the season, there's also very dire economic implications, not just for the immediate members of the NBA community, but those tens of thousands of jobs that are dependent on the league. And though that pair of sentences sums up the situation that the NBA finds itself in. And that's not to say that the NBA shouldn't be playing games. That's not to say that this isn't an incredibly complex situation, as Royce knows firsthand from what happened back in March when he was on hand when the season got suspended back uh, when Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell tested positive in Oklahoma City. And, you know, we saw what happened yesterday, not only with the Sixers, but the Boston Celtics now have seven players, potentially eight players, potentially out for tonight's game that I'll be at against the Miami Heat because of the contact Celtics, tracing. The Celtics reached a brand new threshold in the NBA. Um, we just saw the, the within the last two weeks, we saw the threshold of uh, teams taking two tweets 
to list their their uh, injury and uh, health and safety protocol report. The Celtics reached, I believe, they were the first team. Correct me if I'm wrong. Who now had to, to issue a three tweet injury report? That three nine players, down. nine players, uh, potentially not able to it's play. Never today good. It, this is a this is a new that. threshold in the NBA. Um, you never want to have a two tweet injury report. And if you have three tweet three tweet injury report, we really got problems. Yeah, no, and 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 look, like your point about this is is correct, right? And what I wrote about last night on the site is that look, the NBA back in the summertime, they go to a bubble, they have success in a the bubble, they're able to keep the virus out, they're able to finish the season, and right, and we, now, and we get used to the concept that there that the virus is not there. That's right. It's not it's not a part of of that's uh, right. day to day life. That's right. And now the NBA is learning what baseball learned this summer and what the NFL learned this fall, which is that if you're trying to play a contact sport in the middle of a pandemic, out of the protective safety of a bubble, you're going to have the virus infecting your league. And this is what the NBA now has to deal with. They have multiple teams with several players not available. We have Tim McMahon reporting this morning that the Dallas Mavericks had to shut down their facility because they've had Max Kleba test positive on top of uh, prior positive tests that required some of their players to have to stay in Denver. We've had the Chicago Bulls have to leave players in Washington earlier this season. We have, uh, you know, the Sixers had seven players yesterday. The Celtics could have eight players tonight. Um, you know, this is where the league is at. And they're, you know, because of the economic calamity that would ensue if the league is unable to play games, they're going to do everything they can to push forward and get through this until they can get to the other side of it and have a vaccine and, uh, you know, be able to at some point resume normal life. But until then, you know, or until they, this gets to a point where they have to stop uh, because there's so many players that they can't play. Uh, this is the, this is the uncomfortable situation that all of us are in and I don't see it ending anytime soon. All right, Royce, let me bring up three things that I think are challenges. And I'm not I'm not assigning blame. I'm just going to say that there are challenges. One, um, the league, because they're protecting the players' privacy, has to be careful <clears throat> with what they say when, when, when players are shut down. Um, we can kind of tell when, when a player is, told, is announced to be out 10 to 14 days. We can kind of make an educated guess that the players tested positive, like has just happened with Michael Porter um, Jr. in Denver. He was out for seven days for contact tracing, and then they announced he's out for 10 to 14. They didn't say why, but we can guess. But sometimes they shut guys down, and you don't know how long it's going to be, and it's a mystery because they're trying to protect their, their privacy, which is fine, but that causes an issue with not only with teams, but also with what goes around the NBA, which is betting, which, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this is not something the NBA is deeply involved in. I don't know how anybody can bet any of these games unless they're putting their bet down as the players are walking on the court. Two, there is this situation where guys are getting pulled from the middle of games. It has now happened twice, including the game you covered last night which was Memphis, where Jonas Valanciunas was yanked at halftime. Uh, two days, I think it was two days after Seth Curry was yanked at halftime. Um, and I'll save three for a minute, but I just want, you know, talk about what happened with you last night, what happened with the Grizzlies and that whole situation. Yeah, I mean, it, and, you know, he checked out with about five minutes left in the second quarter. And look, it, it was a little unclear whether or not, um, you know, word had come down to Taylor Jenkins and the Grizzlies bench uh, of, of like pull Valanchunas now, or if it was a halftime decision, it, it's the indication seemed to be that the Grizzlies bench was given word to get Valanchunas out of the game, which, I mean, again, Brian, I mean, when you think about it, just logistically to think that there's a guy out on the court playing and the game's going on. And then somebody says, wait a second, you got to get him out. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's such a, a bizarre circumstance. To relate to, just to show how far we've just come in this. Think of back in March, if in that game that you were at in Oklahoma City, where they mm -hmm. were just like, "Oh, Rudy Gobert has COVID, he's not going to play. Uh, he's a scratch tonight." Okay, tip it off. Let's go. That's essentially right. that's essentially you know kind of the concept, right? right? Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean that, that's that's essentially like you said that that if going back to March, 
that was kind of the hang up with it. You know, that game was in jeopardy very, very quietly throughout the day because they were testing Gobert the night before. Nobody thought that he actually had it. It was kind of this preposterous thing. I was like, well, let's just go ahead and give him the COVID test. And so like, you know, they didn't get the results of that test within, you know, 20 right. minutes to we tip didn't off. Have and rapid so, testing back. Right. And, and, but again, it, it just, it shows the contrast of, of where things stand now that, you know, you're willing to start a game with a guy maybe having it. Um, but, you know, something Bontemps said that I think, it, you know, I thought a lot about, you know, the NFL has gone through this. You know, we saw the Denver Broncos play with a scout team wide receiver at quarterback. I mean, teams have had to, I, you guys may know off the top of your head, did they have to postpone one game in the NFL this year or maybe two? Well, they pushed games back. Exactly. They, they moved, yeah, right. they moved they, a lot of games around. They, moved them back. they, they built play. some stuff into their schedule to try to do that. And, you know, we obviously saw it in baseball with, uh, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals, Miami Marlins, you know, they they basically took weeks off to, to get things under control. Okay, but so, like, it's kind of normalized that, like, you're going to deal with that. The NBA expected that. The difference in the NBA is versus the NFL and, and Major League Baseball is – uh, the limited amount of players on your roster. I mean, you, you just, you saw it, like we're talking about with the 76ers and now uh, with the Celtics, like you lose, you, you have an outbreak on your team and you lose six or seven guys on top of maybe an ankle injury or a hamstring pull or something like that. Like it's, it, it can become very challenging to get to the eight players that you're required to have. And that's, it's a little bit different when you, you know, you have 53 on a roster in the NFL and you just need, you know, I don't know, functioning, you know, 30 guys or something. So, like it, the outbreak nature in the NBA is a lot different. Here's a, here's a question I just was thinking of, you know, as the G league gets ready to start up and you guys may know this answer. I have no idea. Is, is there going to be some sort of built in like call up system? Because those guys will be in a bubble. And so they, they can kind of be like the safety net for maybe some of these outbreaks where, you know, the, the G league now suddenly becomes that much more important for the call up nature of like, well, these guys, you know, cause right now, if, if you're, if you're trying to bring somebody in, well, you've got to quarantine them for 14 days. And so there's no point in it, but if, if they're in the G league, they're being tested daily, they're in like the bubble. Like, can you, is there, is, will there be a way to call them up yeah, immediately? I, I, and I think, them I think even in that situation, Royce, like if you're, if the G league is playing this bubble in Orlando and you have to get to, let's just say Portland, right? Let's say Portland has an outbreak and needs people. You still have to get to Portland, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. in theory, I, I would imagine it, the problem with this, to your point, compared to normal injury situations, and Bobby Marks has talked a lot about this, who obviously spent decades doing this with Brooklyn, is that you can have a bunch of injuries and then go, oh, hey, we're down four or five guys. Let's sign two or three guys with a hardship exception so we can have a functioning roster for a couple of weeks until our guys get back, right? But in this situation, like the Celtics went from having, you know, 14 guys available to having eight guys available. And you can't, you can't overnight right, and you can't bring in two or three players because even if they are in some kind of a bubble situation, they still have to come to where you're at and test for a couple of days to make sure that they're still virus free. Mm -hmm. And you're, then you're still spending two or three days without these guys. And that was Doc Rivers's concern after yesterday's game, I mean, look, they had seven players for this game. They have three rookies, uh, Isaiah Joe, Dakota Mathias, and Tyrese Maxey play over 40 minutes. And, you know, if these guys who are in contract tracing are out for a week, you know, they have a back-to-back -back Monday and Tuesday. They have four games in six days. They might have to play these guys 40 minutes a game for a week. And that's that, like his point was that, look, I'm obviously concerned about COVID and I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but we also have to be concerned on the other end about these guys health who can play you know and now we see Thomas Bryant's out with an ACL we've had all these injuries early on I mean it's just it's just a very fraught situation for the league on all sides yeah. now so okay so yeah, yeah the, the, one of the things is the health and safety the uh, the contract tracing protocols it doesn't just affect uh your team but it also affects your people in your life and, um, you know, if these, if, if folks in, in players' lives to either test positive or have inconclusive tests, that affects, cause like, so for example, Valanciunas to, to go back up on that, they pull Valanciunas after halftime of that game. He is now out for contact tracing. And now we're thinking, oh my God, well, he's just sat around with these guys and play with these guys or all these guys going to be in contact tracing. And the Grizzlies say, no, it's not for COVID. But then today, Sunday afternoon, they announce he's cleared and fine, and it was COVID related, not for him. But you know, it's it, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty here. And again, it's like people can ask the question, 
how is Seth Curry allowed to go onto the court um, when he's got an inconclusive test? And this is the this is the issue. The players are constantly being tested. They are tested every single day, and on game days they are tested twice. So the reality is, in some form or another, they're always waiting for results. There's always some result that has that has just been given, or they are waiting for it. And um, and that Brian uh, is the NBA's entire plan, right? It's their their plan is to test heavily yes. and catch it as fast as possible, and that's, that's fair. That's how they're going to try to keep going forward. That's the the NBA's defense on everything is that our robust testing is going to create the firewall that's going to keep us going. And then they've also left the back end of the season open-ended so that they can, you know, in the event, you know, so far only one game has been postponed, the Rockets coming out of the gate, uh, and they'll just make those games up in the back end of the season. But let me get to where the third point that I think is a, is a struggle is. The struggle is, is that there is a lot of NBA players who have had COVID. Um, I, in stories I wrote before the start of the season, I floated, you know, in talking to people, people were saying they thought they were guesstimating it was probably around 30%. It's probably significantly higher than that. Um, and so as a result, there are players, um, and we talked about this with James Harden, who have antibodies and are living their life and even people in their family living their life differently than the players who don't. And this is potentially creating some contact tracing challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, many of the players we know, I mean, many of the players have self-identified, but there's dozens and dozens that we don't. In fact, there's, there's a couple of teams um, that I remember talking before the season, uh, there's, there's one team in particular, one of the elite teams who's most of the team has had it. And, um, and, uh, I was talking to somebody about this saying that, you know, this information actually could be, uh, valuable as they, as, you know, f- uh, for, for, um, you know, betting an over under for wins. Cause you say, well, this team's probably not going to have, um, you know, their whole half their team, you know, if, <clears throat> if 10 guys on their roster have already had it, boy, this team's probably going to not have to shut down at all because their guys have antibodies. And although, you know, the, the qualification being that nobody really knows how long the antibodies last and there, mm-hmm. there is instances out there where there has been reinfection, but anyway, um, but the thing about, well, I mean, like, look, look, look at like, you know, that situation played out with Kevin Durant, right? That's my yep. point. I was, I was just going to say that. So, yep. so, so here's Durant who did have it recovered. And I'm pretty sure when they announced that he was in, when he was in contact tracing shutdown, that they said he recently had a test and that showed that his antibodies are still active. Right. Um, right. But the, the, the challenge and the reason that the league has to, you know, and again, none of us are uh, epidemiologists or doctors here, but there's no, it's still, it may still be possible, even by the way, after you get the vaccine, even if you have antibodies to pick up the virus and carry it. So that's, that's why, and that's why he had to be shut down. But I don't, it's hard enough to get these guys to live under the restrictions that they're putting on them anyway. And there's just going to, you know, like James Harden is op- was operating the way he was because he'd already had uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them was because he already had the virus. He obviously didn't. <laughs> he obviously didn't fear getting sick again. Yeah. And yeah. and some of the guys, you know, I can't get into everybody. Everybody makes their decisions differently. But some of the guys feel like, well, if I get this, you know, I'll be sick for a few days and be fine. Mm-hmm. And for many of them, that was the case. Um, well, but, to me, Brian, though, that brings up like just the the interesting next point, which you you referenced the vaccine. But like, you know, it, look, the vaccine for NBA players is still a ways off. We all understand that. But as you know, and who knows what the world looks like and how and where where things stand. But you know, it, it seems like common sense would say, look, if you've got a majority of the league vaccinated, then it should change your approach on how you handle testing and contact tracing and all those sorts of things. But like. Kevin Durant, you know, for, for all ten, intents and purposes is, you know, kind of naturally vaccinated at least currently. Right. And, but like the rules still apply to him be, for the reasons that you said that you could still potentially pick up the virus and, and transmit. So like, how long is the league going to be stuck in this loop where, 
you know, even if even if you've got like, you know, 90% of the league vaccinated and the rest of players have, you know, there's there's like, you know, the quote unquote herd immunity in the league, like, do you have to continue this, this sort of thing throughout the, the entire season and into next season? Just consider the fact that in the bubble too, right? We had several coaches who either were not allowed to go, like Lakers assistant coach Lionel Hollins or you know, Mike D'Antoni and Greg Popovich, there was some debate whether they'd be able to coach, right, in the bubble. And now they're just with their teams too, mm-hmm. right? There's that, whole, there's that whole factor yeah. where you have a lot of older people. And they're far are, more exposed now, Tim. That's, like, I mean, like that's, that's the, right. That's the, yeah, that's they're right. flying around. They're flying yeah, around. I mean, they're, they're, it's, they're out in the world. I mean, it's, it's all of this stuff is all floating around all at once. And by the way, it's, I don't think it's a, uh, I mean, this is very predictable, but the, con- you know, there's a bunch of teams who have now gone on four five, six game road trips that are coming down with this. It's not, you know, like no kidding. Cause you know, I mean, no matter what protocols you take, if you're moving around to six hotels in 10 days, you know, your just exposure is just so wide. So, um, I, I will say this. There's some funky stuff going on with Philly because Embiid was Embiid and Simmons were not. Am I correct in saying this, Tim? Embiid and Simmons were not out with with uh, health and safety protocols. They Correct. were out. They were out with injuries. Correct. But on Friday, this so the game was played Saturday afternoon. On Friday. When the Sixers put out their injury report um, that listed all of their guys who were on health and safety protocols, including Seth Curry, they were not on the injury report. Well, just to just to clarify, Ben Simmons was not on the injury report. Joel Embiid was on the injury report, but only because of the health and safety protocols, okay. not okay. with an injury. So, And then they say he wasn't affected by it. And then all of a sudden on Saturday, Simmons and Embiid had injuries. Correct. So... Something's going on there. Um, and so while I, you definitely respect the integrity of privacy on the health, on the, for players and everything like that, they, something was funky with those injuries. Either they were hurt or they weren't. And so you got Philly trying to get the game canceled. And all of a sudden, their two-star players have injuries. Um, I mean, maybe they did have injuries, but you know, Friday night they didn't, and Saturday morning they did. Well, it just it just speaks to the complicated nature of all of this, right? Like, look at the Wizards, for example. The Wizards over the past week have played three teams: the Nets, the Sixers, and the Celtics, who all have had multiple players uh, sitting out because of. Uh, health and safety protocol issues, right? Whether it's contact tracing or positive tests. Uh, They play the Celtics on Friday. Um, It appears Jason Tatum has a positive test on Saturday. And then because he apparently talked to Bradley Beal in a close conversation after the game, Bradley Beal is pulled out of Saturday's game against the Heat in Washington. But nobody else who played in this game where Jason Tatum played 35 minutes the night before does have to sit for contact tracing, right? And you know, while the league, yeah, which you know, argue, Jason Tatum wasn't, you know, guarding guys. I mean, it's it. They're well, doing no, what they I gotta just, do, right? But, I was know. just gonna say, while the league would argue that if you know, over the course of, they're not, you're not actually next to somebody for 15 minutes over the course of an NBA game, right? You know, logically, you can construct that argument. It's still looking at it from 10,000 feet. It just is. It's a strange thing to see. Right. It just yeah. kind of, it, it's just all of this stuff is just complicated and difficult. And, you know, again, as I, as I referenced at the beginning of the pod, when you are trying to make decisions that both balance health and safety factors and economic factors, understandably, because it is a business, this is the kind of murky situations you're going to find yeah. yourself in over yeah, and over and over again. I don't, I don't envy them at all. I, I would, I would just say though, because people are some, some people are asking, uh, well, why don't they just, you know, close it down for a while to get everybody okay and then restart it? I mean, I can't rule out that that would happen, but we are nowhere close to that. They are. This is this is going to churn through this uh, for the foreseeable future. And you know, you ask yourself, 
why would they make the 76ers play under those circumstances um, where they only had seven guys they could run out there and why they would make them play this next week, potentially with only seven or eight guys. The reason that they did that is so that when it happens to the Portland Trailblazers or Team X in two weeks, that they're held to the same standard. And going through this NBA season, many of the teams are going to run into problems like this. And right now, today, it's Philly and Boston um, and Dallas. And in two weeks, it could be three other teams or it could be no other teams. But they, the league doesn't want to set the precedent that it's going to, you know, say, okay, well, you're in a tough spot. We're going to just, just like Royce said, that the, the uh, Broncos had to play without a quarterback and the Browns had to play without wide receivers one week. And that's just the way it's going to be. And yeah. um, it's just the reality for the NBA this year. I mean, that's just, it's in, you know, and you make the point of like, you know, why not just shut it down and just get every, because it's going to happen again. I mean, right. you, you, you'd be caught in a constant loop of, okay, shut it down again for a week, I guess, and then start it up again. I mean, it's so to, to the best of your ability, as much as you possibly can, you just have to keep the games going and try to keep on schedule. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to, but that's what they're going to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to get the season done at an all reasonable. And look, every single game that is played is millions of dollars in the players pockets and in the team's pockets and in the part in the partner's pockets. And so there is nowhere is it written that it has to be a highly competitive game. The game just has to play. And like I said, sports leagues have decided they are playing through the pandemic. And the reason they can do that is because generally the P, you know, everyone has been able to recover, um, fortunately. So that's where we are. It's going to keep going this way. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Bontemps, you just brought up Washington. Uh, by the way, the Wizards almost won that game last night uh, against Miami, uh, even though they didn't have Beal or Westbrook. And Thomas Bryant suffered an injury four minutes into the game, um, losing their starting center. Um, another uh, season-ending injury already. Um, the Wizards are, are struggling badly. Bradley Beal is leading the league in uh, scoring. Wizards are a team that had high expectations for this year and uh, are really struggling. And one of the reasons they're struggling is because um, Russell Westbrook is, uh, he's just, he's not the player that he was last year. And uh, Royce, few people know Westbrook as well as you. Um, I have to say, the jury is still out on this, but is you watch John Wall play the way he's playing in Houston, and you watch Russell Westbrook play the way he's playing in Washington, that trade's looking a little rough right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me about Westbrook and, and the way that he's, you know, there was a lot of talk about him wanting to kind of getting get back to who he is and his style. And, and I think to a large degree he has. And, w- you know, we talked about this on the pod, I don't know, whenever the season preview thing, Brian, that like that can be good, but it also be very bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, Westbrook counted up. I think he, he's got four triple doubles. I think he had triple doubles in his first four games with the Wizards. Um, he's very close to averaging one right now. His efficiency numbers are horrific um, overall. His PER – is under 13 with and with the raw and with the raw numbers that he's putting up like your PER like typically like tilts pretty 
pretty well if you're putting up well-rounded numbers. But I think that that just goes to show like the efficiency levels, the turnover, his turnovers so, are out of control. He's, so he's averaging over five quick, a game. Turnover. And I'm not going to uh, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that PER is everything, but it's a general indicator of, you know, where you're performing. I'm going to read you Russell Westbrook's last um, four seasons, five seasons on PER. Okay. In 1617, which is the MVP season. Okay. 30.6 led the league in PER. Anything over 30 is, is MVP kind of level. All right. Um, 15, the way PER is calculated stands for player efficiency rating, takes all, all of your efficiency numbers together and forms and went to one number invented uh, by John Hollinger uh, years ago. Um, 30.6 led the league um, that year. Then we have the couple of years where he averaged the next two years, he averaged a triple double. Okay. PER 24.7, still very, very strong. That's all star level. And 21.1. Okay. Now we have a. Now we're a, starting to see. Now the trend. we're seeing a fall off. Yeah. But even 21.1, pretty good. Pretty good. Not ideal, but pretty good. Last year in Houston, 21. Okay. And as you mentioned, 12.9, 12.9 so far this year. And, you know, part of that is his free throw shooting has just fallen off a cliff. Uh, well, he's, he, and he's not getting to the line either. Right. So, I mean, this is a guy who, who for, for most of the heart of his career, averaged in the mid 80s. Yeah. He's at 65% this year. And um, free throw attempts per game. This is a guy who, again, in 1617, when he won the MVP, was averaging 10 and a half. And, has, and even last year, averaged seven. He's averaging five this year, even though he's playing uh, more minutes when he does play. And, and two more this, minutes this is probably just like a, just an observational, anecdotal type thing. But I, you know, I think you see it a lot with players as they kind of hit their their post prime decline, Brian, that free throw, their free throw attempts just naturally just start coming down. They start playing a different way. They're a little less aggressive. Um, you can go look at Carmelo. Anthony was a player that I, I noticed that that was happening very steadily over time. He, he went from just a high free throw guy. Some of that's usage, but it's just also just style of play. And, and to me, like that's just an indicator that Westbrook is, is not quite, you know, the bulldozer that he, that he was even three years ago. And, and one of the big problems that he's, falling back into is the trap of shooting threes. He's just settling for threes all threes over. Threes are up, free throws are down, and his field goal percentage is down 10 percentage points. I mean, what makes him a, an elite player is that he's an amazing finisher at the basket. And again, he and that would that results in him getting fouled. Um, and then he and then he fills in the gaps of his deficiencies in other areas, whether that's rebounding, whether that's just his uh, his instincts. You know, he's not a he's obviously a gambler on defense, but he makes defensive plays. He's a, an incredible shot creator. He can straight line drive and, and get somebody a, an open open corner three. And like, you know, all those types of things are just they're just not. And, and, and I want to give. Westbrook some grace that he, you know, he, he's dealing with a, a hand issue, uh, some sort of dis, uh, dislocated something, wrist or finger or something, um, which is affecting him. And, and his quad was acting up. So, I mean, he's dealing with some some minor injuries here. But, I mean, I, I think the, the alarm bells are ringing right now when people ask themselves, what's Russell Westbrook going to look like as, as the athleticism wanes and how does he age in his NBA career? I think you're seeing it. And I wrote a, again, I wrote a story about this last season. Like there's two different types of NBA star as they age. And it's the one that kind of adapts and adjusts and, you know, takes elements of their game and is willing to let things go and embrace other areas. And then there's the one that just like puts the pedal to the metal and and burns the candle until there's nothing left. And like what all indications would say, Russell Westbrook is going to be that guy that runs the gas tank to empty and the car just like explodes and flies off a cliff. uh, Like, you know, at the end of back. Yeah. But the the car is not going to be paid for, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's the, that's the problem. uh, The car won't be paid for. I've long compared Russell Westbrook to Allen Iverson in Mm -hmm. that Russell Westbrook's entire career is based on him doing what he wants to do and playing the way he wants to play. And it's made him an iconic figure like Allen Iverson in that his defenders 
defend him to the wall and always will, right? Just like Iverson. And to Royce's point, just like Iverson, his career almost certainly seems destined to end in flames because he had a game that was built almost entirely on his superhuman athleticism. And naturally, to Royce, Royce's great article last year summed it up, right? As a guy like him ages into his late prime and beyond, he needs to be able to downshift and play in a different way. And like Iverson, I don't see Westbrook ever admitting that that is the case. And in some ways, I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that because his shooting has gotten worse and his shooting was never good to begin with. Right. So there isn't That's like a, step one in aging, right, Von Tibbs? I mean, like, that's right. if you can, like Jason Kidd, he aged that's gracefully right. because that's right. he was able to kind of find a second career in shooting. That's right. And, and I just do not see, I don't see Westbrook believing he has to do that. And I don't see Westbrook being able to do that because like you said, everybody brings up Jason Kidd, but like, that's the exception to the rule for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's very hard to go from being a, you know, star player to a role player. You see, you know, Vince Carter had success with it. Jason Kidd had success with it. But the list of guys who have done that successfully is pretty short for a reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Russell Westbrook now has the single worst contract in the NBA. But, you know, it's pretty by a pretty healthy margin. And to Brian's point, you know, yes, John, it's early, but John Wall clearly looks better than him. And when you look at the situation this Wizards team is in, now losing, you know, a promising John young Wall, center. John Wall's two years younger. I mean, he does, you know, that's a factor. Um, John Wall's also a player who his game is more built on, you know, he is a scoring point guard, but he also is one of the best point guards ever at setting up other people for shots. And um, that's, that's not necessarily Russ or Westbrook's game, right? Russ gets assists in part because he sucks the defense to him so much that then other shots are created. Whereas John is a master at creating open shots for others. And, you know, it just, a, it's a difficult situation in Washington because now they lose Thomas Bryant. They obviously make this John wall trade and now they're under 500 and, you know, Bradley Beal's now out for a while and he's been playing unbelievably well. I saw him in, Boston on Friday, and he scored 40 in 35 minutes after scoring 60 had, the game before. He had 101 points in the previous, the last two games. Just remarkable. He's playing out of his mind, and it doesn't matter, right? So the, the bigger picture thing to take away from this for me is that, to me, Bradley Beal is the number one guy who could shift the landscape for me, even more than James Harden, if he becomes available in a trade because of how portable he is to any team in the league, and he fits in any system. And um, if, if the Wizards go off the deep end, that puts them in a situation where maybe John, maybe Bradley Beal decides, hey, this situation isn't for me. And if that happens, he is, to me, the biggest potential chip to come on the market. And that's kind of what I'm watching for with this whole Wizards thing with Westbrook and now Bryant's injury and everything else is that could Bradley Beal become available? And if he does, that could be a real game changing moment for the league this season. I thought you were about to blow my mind, Tim, and say, and you were going to suggest that uh, Washington and Houston trade Bradley Beal for James Harden. <laughs> I, thought that, uh, I thought you were about to. I thought you were about to go there. I was like, wow. I mean, <laughs> Houston. I mean, Houston wrong. should do that. Houston should do that, and it would be fascinating. But I have a feeling. Or I mean, Washington should do that, but I have a feeling that they will not. Yeah, um, John Wall, and again, he's played five games because um, you know he's holding out of back-to-backs. Plus, they had uh, the uh, he was in contact tracing earlier himself. Um. But he's shooting 48% in those five games and uh, um, looks, you know, looks good. Looks like he's moving really, really well. So um, sitting here, what is it, maybe six weeks from the trade, five weeks from the trade, five or six weeks from the trade? Not decided yet, but worrisome for Washington. Um, just, Just the player swap. You know, they have the exact same contract. But then you factor in that Washington gave away a first round pick in that trade. And then the way that they made the trade, the, the pick is protected for four or five years, which sounds good because the last thing you want to do is give away a pick and then have it be a high lottery pick. And then you lose it. Um, you want to protect your lottery picks. But the reason that's problematic is that in the event that the wizards need to make a trade to try to improve, to try to do something, to try to get into the playoffs, to, to do something, to try to, 
you know, stem off an injury or to, you know, try to do something to help Bradley Beal stay invested. They now can't trade a pick because it's in the NBA, it's known as encumbered. They, they, you know, now they're hamstrung. So there's an opportunity cost that comes with it. In addition to the idea of actually making a, a tough trade. So um, worrisome right now. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Before we go, I do want to talk about another point guard at the opposite end of the career spectrum. And that's the rookie in Charlotte, LaMelo Ball, who had uh, a triple-double um, uh, Saturday night, youngest player ever to uh, uh, in a win over Atlanta. Atlanta, by the way, struggling right now. Four straight losses. Trey Young got banged up, and uh, there was a story in the Athletic uh, that came out over the weekend talking about some chemistry issues with uh, uh, Trey Young and his teammates, which you know that bears watching. Um, and then Bogdan Bogdanovich got hurt. We're still waiting for results on his knee injury. He had a knee injury uh, on Saturday. Um, that's a topic for a different day. Um, LaMelo had a triple double, uh, uh, Friday night. I didn't see the game on Saturday, but on uh, Friday night, um, I did watch most of, uh, uh, Charlotte's game in new Orleans. That was, um, a uh, ESPN game. And, uh, LaMelo had, uh, he didn't have a great game that night, but had a, a strong game and he had a, a step back three against Lonzo in the last like 90 seconds that, um, that uh, basically helped ice it. And, um, you know, guys, I was really worried about his shooting. That's one of the reasons I was tepid about him uh, coming into the year. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni, I will say this, uh, Gavoni had him number one on his board for 15, 14 months, something like that. Um, never backed down on having LaMelo number one, even though he had some um, some concerns in his game. He's only 19 years old. Bontemps, he's averaging, he's coming off the bench. So, you know, his, his minutes are going to be somewhat limited. He's only averaging 25 minutes a game. Uh, although more and more James Borrego is, he's finishing with him. Um, he's averaging six assists. Um, he's shooting 36% from three, which is way better than I thought he would. He's had some clunker shooting games, but still 36% from three. If he does that for his career, he'll be, he'll be just fine um, because he's a, he's a terrific playmaker. Um, he's shooting 44% overall, which for a rookie guard is a great number. Um, and then he's just making plays looking way older than his years. Got great size. Um, I was, I was uh, uh, a little bit, let's just wait and see on the mellow. Only been 10 games, but so far the returns are pretty good. Yeah, look, I mean, people see the highlights of LaMelo throwing, you know, unbelievable passes on Twitter, and that's kind of a lot of what they see from him. But when you watch full games of him, yes, the shooting is a question, and it's something to monitor, and will ultimately determine just how high his ceiling is. But he makes a ton of winning plays when he's playing. He's a really good rebounder and not in the, you know, Royce is very familiar with the debate about Russell Westbrook <laughs> going back to him, whether like, oh, is Russell kind of gift getting gifted some rebounds? These are like go in and fight for rebounds. rebounds. Gordon Hayward's not like, boxing out for him. No, that, it's not quite the same thing. Um, but no, he, he fights on the boards. He's not bad defensively. You know, I'm not trying to say he's, uh, 
you know, Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard or name your great defensive wing player, but he, he's not bad on defense and his passing ability isn't just in these highlight passes. I mean, he's just, he's got amazing vision. So, you know, when you, when I watch him play, you can see these special moments pop out as you're watching him. And again, I don't know if the shot is going to come all the way around to where it needs to for him to be a true superstar player. But when you watch him play, it just, it's hard to see how he fails, right? Like he at, at minimum is going to be a really good passing point guard with great size at six, seven or six, eight, who can hit a three pointer and can be effective on the boards and is not a sieve on defense. That's a really, really good player. Um, and the shot is just going to determine to me whether he's a superstar or just a really good player. But either way, you know, for a Charlotte team that desperately needed some excitement and a reason to pay attention to them, you know, having him drop the three, it's a pretty big stroke of luck, in my opinion, for them. Yeah. Brian, you know, you mentioned the game on Friday. He was an assist away from a triple double in that game. I mean, That's that right. Was almost, he was. He, almost he, he was. Back. Yeah. He, he wasn't like for a rookie that was a strong game. It, uh, he let me tell you something. He outplayed Lonzo in that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, you know, that I can tell you. He outplayed uh, Lonzo in that game. And, look, look uh, at his his month his numbers for January. Uh, you know where I think he started to kind of show his true progression. It's fourteen and a half points, seven point three rebounds, seven point five assists. And the biggest thing that sticks out to me in all of his numbers, Brian, is in January he's under two turnovers per game, but just overall he's right at two. And for a rookie that's got the ball in his hands a lot, that's making plays, that's making flashy passes all the time, he takes care of the ball. He makes good decisions. We talked about Jason Kidd earlier. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I hesitate to make comparisons, but like he really does. He emulates a lot of Jason Kidd type, uh, you know, style. And and his his it's like a six seven Jason Kidd in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I mean. Um... The thing, uh, you know, we, you know, I'll tell you what, the, the 2018 draft, the, the, the top three, the decisions made in the top three, um, it was 18, right? Aiden, was that 18? With Aiden, Bagley, and uh, Doncic. Um, that was a defining decisions that were made in that uh, half hour, 45 minutes. Um, I don't know if it'll go down because I don't know if the uh, – I don't think any of these guys is Luca, but um, obviously the decisions that were made, you know, th- th- this was a complicated one for Minnesota because the two other options they had were point guard and center, and they were committed to max contracts with two best friends who are their point guard and their center. And so they take Edwards, who may end up being a really good player, which allows Wiseman to fall. But, you know, LaMelo slides to three. Um Bontemps, I mean, the way that draft goes, you know, could really kind of define a lot of things. Way too early to say, but fascinating situation um, that allowed LaMelo to fall to Charlotte. And I mean, like Jonathan Gavoni, no matter what you say, his track, you know, this guy has done it and, and his track record is is what his track record is. And he was just like, look, LaMelo Ball is the best player in this draft. And you've heard me talk on this podcast about how much I am really interested in Wiseman's potential. Um, last year, I, you know, all these guards who come out, um, you know, they all have these growing pains. These point guards have these terrible growing pains. Um, LaMelo is, you know, younger than most of those guys. Like LaMelo's two years younger than, um, than Ja Morant, for example. And Ja comes out and it has, is as impactful as a point guard has been in his rookie year, you know, in a decade. And he's still two years younger. Than Ja, and so to see him do this, it's not just about what he's doing; it's about the projection, and it really makes the decision making that just happened in this draft so fascinating to watch. Very rarely do teams get chances to draft in the top three, and when you get a chance to be that high in the draft, by definition, the choice you make is going to wind up having a huge impact on your franchise. Right? You go back to go back to Royce's Oklahoma City Thunder. Right? That team was built because they had three top four picks in a row. And Sam Presti hit a grand slam with all of them. And some of that's luck, but it's also, you know, they also got James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and, J- and Kevin Durant in three straight drafts. And because of that, they became a championship team. And, you know, if you go back and look, you know, look at the Sacramento Kings. They get one top three pick. First time I think ever they pick that high in the draft when they get the second pick. And they take Marvin Bagley ahead of 
Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Trey Young, right? Like that's that kind of decision is going to set your franchise back a long time. And it is way too early to say whether Anthony Edwards is going to be uh, good enough uh, to merit the number one pick or whether LaMelo works out or whether James Wiseman works out. But those decisions, those teams made and why they made them are going to have ripple effects for a long time. And that's what makes the draft process and just team building itself such an interesting thing, right? Because like Golden State looks at their team and says, hey, James Wiseman's got a chance to be an elite two-way center. And maybe he will be. He certainly shows tons of potential when you watch him play. But when you look at today's NBA and where it's going, and you look at the stuff LaMelo Ball is doing, it would certainly be an interesting thought exercise to put him on that Golden State team with Seth Curry, or Steph Curry, not Seth Curry, and uh, and say, hey, what would this look like in a year or two if you had those two guys playing together? So, I mean, it, it's not to say one's right or wrong, but it's just going to be really, really interesting to your point to see how things shake out for all those teams going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll put it to you this way. So Borrego has started playing Devontae Graham, who is having a miserable shooting season. I don't have his numbers right in front of me, but uh, something like 5% from three. That's not accurate, so, but that's about what it feels like. like. He has just had so many bad games. Um, uh, he, he, he's, he's really struggling uh, for sure. Uh, Terry Rozier has had some good games. Uh, but to figure out that he's actually played all three of them together um, at times. And, um, you know, Charlotte's now five and five. They won a few games and they're a little disappointing early on. They obviously got a blow when Cody Zeller, who's their best big man, it's fair to say, um, you know, broke his hand. Um, and they've been trying to sort of stitch it together, um, playing Bismack Biombo a lot of minutes. Um, it's a, uh, you know, and PJ Washington, their second year player, uh, who was a good draft pick last year, by the way, in the lottery, in the late lottery, um, is putting together some good games. So like, you know, there's been, there's been calls in Charlotte to move the middle of the starting lineup. And so, um, but no matter what all that is, and no matter what actually happens with the, the Hornets this season, um, looking like, uh, looking like a pretty good pick. So, uh, if you get an opportunity, um, um, if you get that, uh, if you get an opportunity to, to see him, definitely uh, try to do that. And um, by the way, if you uh, need another podcast to listen to, now that you've listened to this one, go check out the Woj Pod. Um, he's uh, got a great uh, interview recently with uh, Utah Jazz owner Ryan Smith. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later in the week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.